0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. I wonder if you were God, I don't, I don't advise that you think about that very often, um, but I wonder if you were God and you were to write a list of the things you wanted to tell people about men and women, I wonder what would be on your list. Uh, would it be, um, uh, why do uh, women go to the toilet in tombs and men leave the toilet seat up all the yeah. time? Uh, would it be uh, uh, why do women talk so much and men just want to get physical um, uh, why, um, what, what about, um, why are women so bothered about what they look like and blokes aren't that bothered about what they look like sometimes <laughs> that is terrible isn't it um, well, why, uh, why are uh, men messy and women tidy? I know that doesn't always work these are sweeping statements um, and it's not always the case um, I guess all these are relevant and important questions to think through Uh, The interesting thing is that God, in the beginning, when he created stuff, seems bothered about only two things, as we read Genesis uh, 1 and 2. And these are the two things that I think he's bothered about. Make sure you get sex right, and make sure you get equality right. Which is quite interesting. I mean, if you had to pick two issues that were relevant, contemporary, and controversial... It's my guess, and thank you very much, Joe, for giving me this one, uh, that these are the two things you, you pick. You can't get more important and up-to-date and provocative than these two things these days. Can you sex? And how do women, men and women supposed to relate? You just need to pick up a newspaper, turn on your TV, go to a party, and you'll soon uh, realise that this is the stuff that people are talking about and everybody has very different ideas. Here's some of the stuff that our world says... Um, firstly about equality. Jermaine um, uh, Greer is a very famous feminist, those who don't know. Um, she wrote the book The Whole Woman uh, and said, as a quote in this, to be male is to be a kind of idiot. Yeah. Uh, those are the sort of messages we're hearing. And it's not just her as a feminist, there's another feminist, a lady called um, B. Campbell. I don't know what her first name is. Beatrix, that <laughs> who it says on the book. <laughs> Crime and coercion are sustained by men. Even the Church of England, if you read the BBC website, um, is unhelpful sometimes in setting an example of leadership roles, with General Synod voting recently uh, that women bishops um, should be allowed. And when it comes to sex, that's the equality bit, when it comes to sex, the voices are even louder. Uh, This is um, a website, Illicit Encounters, which actually arranges... Extramarital affairs. Just listen to what they say on their website. Um, it'll be, I did think about this today. So I' are getting all this stuff last yesterday. So Joe is my accountability partner with my computer. <laughs> and it'll be interesting to see what his email says this month as to which websites I've visited. Um, uh, perhaps you are in a loveless and dead-end marriage or relationship. Your partner no longer values you. Intimacy, intimacy is long gone. But for many reasons, you do not want to upset the apple cart is this you? You'd be surprised how many people this applies to. Uh, but there is an alternative. Find someone in a similar situation to yours who also does not want to end their marriage and who wants to explore a friendship, a relationship, become lovers. Encounters can find the person you're looking for. Now, that's the sort of message we're getting about sex. Um, it's not only those sort of things. Um, homosexuality. I th- you know, I think homosexuality is taught in schools as acceptable, but I wonder these days whether it goes actually a little bit further than that. It's almost encouraged that you sort of uh, move on any homosexual or same-sex uh, uh, um, sort of feelings that you have. you actually encourage to explore that in some ways. Here's what one educational book says. This book is designed to help teachers, counsellors and administrators understand the significance of gay and lesbian issues in education and to facilitate the integration of gay and lesbian families into school and community. Uh, so that's another voice that we're hearing. Um, and marriage and monogamy, that's sex with one person for the rest of your life, seems to have been forgotten as something healthy to teach in schools. Add to all of those things, the stuff that we all know about, to the usual magazines, kinky sex. This is this month's, I didn't like just go and find a bad one, and just pick this month's, kinky sex um, for uh, Cosmopolitan, seduce her with style in men's health. Um, and then the TV uh, that we watch and the adverts that we see week in, week out, Um, And then add to that all the stuff that we know is uh, on the internet and uh, what the internet offers. And it adds up to just talk and voices all the time that are coming coming at us, which means we have all sorts of things that we can base our sexuality and the way we relate to the opposite sex on. There's all these different ideas that are coming at you all the time, and I think it's important that we recognise that. There are voices from all over the shop telling us what to believe and how to act on these two issues of equality and sex. And this morning I could spend time picking apart all those different opinions, show you how the foundations of those philosophies and worldviews are things that don't hold water. I don't think it's very difficult to do that. Because I think often the reasons that people are saying these things are not very good reasons at all. Um, But we don't have time to do that. Maybe as you chat later on or you'd like to ask questions, um, you you could uh, throw some of those things in. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at Genesis 1 to 3. That's what we've been doing over these last few weeks. And we're going to see the Christian foundation to sex and relationships in the first three chapters of Genesis. Um, I'll tell you why. Uh, Because ever since I've been a Christian... I've grown to believe, and I really have grown to believe this, that truth um, is attractive to those people who are being saved. Truth is attractive to those people who are being saved, particularly God's truth, which in the end is the only truth. Um, it's not always easy, but it is attractive. It, it, in long term, it, it feels right. This sounds like a right thing. And not only is it attractive, but it actually satisfies, and it's the only thing that satisfies in the end. Why? Well, because what the Bible teaches isn't just about knowledge and theology. It's much more than that. It's about a relationship with someone who loves you more than anybody else. And you have to keep remembering this about God, don't you? It's very easy just to sort of become academic about it. Someone who knows you inside out and back to front. Someone who, this is really interesting, and often we forget this, who wants the best for you. He really does want the best for you. So as you look at Genesis 1-3 to and what it says about sex and relationships... You're not just getting a lecture from your youth leader. This isn't getting a lecture from your youth leader. It's not just doing a comprehension on a piece of writing that was written a long, long time ago. There is something spiritual going on, something personal going on as we consider these things today. And it's going on between you and your creator. Fantastic. That's what, that's what it is when we come to study the Bible. So basically, if there is a God, uh, and if the Bible tells us truth, and if, and I guess this is probably the most important one, well, not the most important one, but the one that's likely to go wrong, you are honestly searching for the truth in these things that we're looking at this morning, genuinely wanting to work it out, then what we look at today will ring true. It really will ring true in a way that doesn't happen with all those other ways of thinking that we heard about earlier on. So that's just by way of introduction, really. Um, we'll come on to think about those things in a minute. Um, I'm going to pray that we'll think about them well. And then we're going to sing. And I think, Joe, if you've got some notices, now would be a great time to do it. Let me just pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you that you don't leave us in the dark about anything, that you're willing to talk about stuff that uh, maybe we sometimes think that you aren't um, wanting to talk about, or maybe we just ignore it. I pray this morning that you'd help us to listen to what you're saying, um, help us to put it alongside what other folk are saying, and see whether there is truth in it. In your name, amen. Okay, let's see. Okay. Uh, now, this, this is a huge subject, as I'm sure you've realised already, and there is a lot to cover, and it's going to be impossible to cover everything, but I think in God's word there is a big idea that we need to pick up in all of this, and uh, I think I put it on here. Uh, this, this is where we're going to end up. If you get sex inequality equality wrong... We start to mess with actually who God is. If you get it wrong, we start to mess with who God is. So keep that in mind as we go through this morning. Now, I want to have a look at each of these two subjects separately. So we're going to look at equality and then sex. um, Because I thought it would be more fun to leave sex till the end. Um, uh, Here's uh, what one website said about the differences, what were the differences between men and women. Yeah, when it came to well you can see the ones that are suggested on there, but when it comes to sleep, men wake up looking as good as they did when they went to bed or as bad as they did when who went to bed. Women somehow deteriorate during the night. Um, when it comes to children, a woman knows all about her children, she knows about their best friends, etc. Um, uh, the man is vaguely aware of some short people living in the house) um, when it comes to marriage, a woman marries a man expecting he will change, but he doesn't. And when it comes to marriage, a man marries a woman expecting she won't change, and she does. Um, when it comes to the future, um, a, woman marries, uh, a, a woman worries about the future until she gets her husband, um, and a man never worries about the future until he gets a wife. Um, now sadly from some of those ideas, you can tell that women and men often don't get relationships right. There is no way we'll be able to cover every bit of ground on this uh, when it comes to equality and relationships between men and women. Um, So what I'm going to do is tell you straight um, what I think about this um, equality thing, but just two provisos first of all. uh, The first one is this. I'm married. Um, I've been married for 21 and a half years to the beautiful Claire. And uh, during all that 21 and a half years, I have been a Bible-believing Christian. The reason I tell you that is that I have been trying to live and work out the principles that we're going to look at today for 21 years. So I come as a highly experienced practitioner uh, when it comes to trying to work these things out on a day-to-day basis. Uh, And I can tell you that it is not easy sometimes. Uh, But when it works, it is wonderful and extremely satisfying. We're not talking about the sex bit yet or as well, but this is the equality bits. When it works, when we get it right... Uh, this is extremely satisfying and wonderful. And the second thing is, I've read loads these last few weeks on this. Um, I, I forgot to bring them, but there was sort of two huge volumes of like um, an argument against feminist evangelicalism. Anyway, there was, was all sorts of things. I looked at the internet a lot, so I've read a lot of stuff, and I'm not just making this stuff up. I'm going to have to go through it quickly and not do, do the exact arguments. Come and ask me afterwards if you have a problem with something I say. Um, but I've not come... At this, just off the top of my head, I've really thought about it, and um, because it is a big issue. So basically, I, I've practiced what I'm talking about, and I have thought a lot about it. So if we begin at the beginning, do you want to get your Bibles open um, to Genesis one, and we'll look at Genesis one, verse twenty six. Mm-hmm. Genesis one twenty six, and Sean is going to read nice and loud twenty six and twenty seven for us. let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that live along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Male and female, he created them in his image. Now, this is the easy bit, and everybody agrees on this. Um, Man and woman are equal in the sense that they both bear God's image equally. Most people are agreed on that. There is the odd person who isn't. I was listening on Radio 4 the other day to this uh, comedy programme. This lady who's a sort of bigwig biblical theologian but an atheist. uh, And she was saying that they're they're not really made in God's image because God was married once. And this other God got divorced from it. It was just ridiculous anyway. So not everybody agrees. But generally when we talk about these things, people do agree that, that man and woman are made together in God's image. The problem starts to come when you start talking about how God says males and females should relate as his image in marriage. That's when the problems start to come. Now, we don't have time to talk today about what this means for the church or what this means for society in general. Uh, We're just thinking about marriage today because I've had to sort of hone it down. Maybe you could talk about that in your groups later on or ask questions or have a think about that. But this is what it is about in marriage. Uh, So let me tell you up front what I think Genesis 1-3 says. I think it says this, that in the partnership of two spiritually equal, I've put that in bold so you remember, uh, human beings, man and woman, the man bears the primary responsibility to lead the partnership in a God-glorifying direction. I'll say that again. Um, and listen to all of it, fellas we often miss bits of this out um, in the partnership of two spiritually equally human beings man and woman um, the man bears the primary responsibility to lead the partnership in a God glorifying direction some people call this male headship I don't think that's a very helpful title sometimes but since that's what most people call it um, we'll carry on calling it and headship is not um, uh, just Uh, Dominating Men dominating women. That's not what it's about. It's not men abusing women. Um, Headship does not mean that women are secondary in any way whatsoever. We need to really remember those things. That is really important. Those things, get rid of them. They're not there at all. It's none of these. It is the man bearing the primary responsibility to lead the partnership in a God-glorifying direction. And often blokes like to forget that. And women like to ignore it. Um, but it is really important. Um, there are lots of places in the Bible where you can argue this from. But Genesis 1-3 to I think is a great place to start. Because that's what it was meant to be like right from the beginning. And simply what I'm going to do is give you six reasons why I think Genesis 1-3 to teaches this principle. The first one is, we'll whiz through them, is the order. So have a look down in your Bible, keep your Bibles open. Uh, Genesis 2 verse 7. God makes... The man. Genesis 2 verse 22, God makes the woman. Adam is made first because he's the head. That's the first one, the order of things. The second one is the representative. Adam ends up being the representative for the whole human race. Um, Even though Eve sins first in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis 3 verse 6, the New Testament holds Adam responsible for sin. He represents all humans from that point on. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 21. Don't look it up. I'll just read this a little bit. For as in Adam all die. It doesn't say for as in Eve all die. For as in Adam all die. So Adam is held responsible. He's the representative because he's the head. Um, there's the naming of women. I couldn't find a good slide for that, so I just sort of put some letters there. Um, uh, in Genesis uh, 2... God gets Adam to name all the animals, um, and he can't find one that's a a, a sort of good helper for him. Um, uh, And when it gets to Genesis 2, verse 22 to 23, he says this. Then the Lord made a woman from the rib he had taken from man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, now this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. It's the man who's saying that, for she was taken out of man. One of Adam's greatest moments, I think, this. Best moments. God brings Eve to Adam and he calls her woman. I think he may have gone, whoa, man. <laughs> and that's how it worked out. But, but seriously, no, that isn't what it is. Um, it's just as God names the day and the night uh, and the sea, because he's the head of them, so Adam names Eve because he is the head. It's not showing power over or anything like that. It is because God has already given responsibility to man, therefore he has the authority to do this. He names the woman. Um, the next one is um, the naming of the whole human race. In Genesis 1, verse 26, God names the human race man, not woman. And one of author says, um, God's naming of the human race as man whispers male headship. I think it is towards that argument that because the whole of the human race is called man, it whispers male headship. The next one is Accountability. I think this is a big one, a huge one, and we need to remember this, fellas. So have a look at um, Genesis 2, verses 15 to 17. Who does God give instructions to in the Garden of Eden, how to live there? Who does he give the instructions to? He gives them, he gives them to Adam, doesn't he? He gives them to the man. Um, and then when uh, they've sinned in the Garden of Eden, who does God come looking for in Genesis 3, verse 9? The man. He comes looking for Adam again. Uh, God holds the man responsible because he is the head. And in contrast, you might notice that the serpent dodgy character goes straight to Eve to try and uh, mess up the natural order of things. And when it comes to the curse in chapter 3, that messes up the natural order of things as well. Accountability is with the man because he's the head. Or he's the head because he's given accountability. It could work both way around. Um, so that's another reason. And the final one is purpose. Um, Eve is created as Adam's helper, not Adam created as Eve's helper. It is very obvious there in chapter 2. Not a helper just sometimes, not a helper who is ordered around, but a helper who, chapter 2, verse 18, is suitable, ideally suitable for him. A helper who is equal to him, but different in a way that exactly complements who Adam is. Eve is the best and most indispensable helper ever. And as such, in God's eyes, this is an incredibly positive thing. So often we view it as negative. It's not. It's really positive. So let's just stop there a minute and have a think about how this works out in practice. Because um, if you remember... I said this wasn't necessarily easy. Now, it's not easy because, number one, of all those other voices that we hear, we said earlier on, we saw lots of people tell us all sorts of things about how women should relate to men, and they're not always necessarily helpful. Number two, it's because we're sinful. You know, we want to do it our own way. Uh, And number three, it's because we're stubborn, um, and we insist on doing it our own way. So keep those things in mind. And I've got some questions. Now, girls... I want you to think really carefully about this and what it means for you. But I want you to think about it, or try and think about it, a sense that it's very hard to come to these things, isn't it, without sort of feelings and emotions coming in, it's particularly if you're girls. Um, if God is good, which He really is, He really is good, we need to remember that. Bottom, bottom foundational thing God is good, and He wants what is best for us, which He does, then working out what it means to be a helper will mean that you'll glorify him better in your Christian walk. So we need to work out what this actually means. Now, boys, if, if I hear one quip at all about um, abusing headship and hey, let's tell the girls what to do and all that sort of thing, I will personally, or get Ben, because he's the biggest here, take you outside um, and beat you up. Um, here's something William Shakespeare said. You might have to work it out. It takes a while to work out William Shakespeare. So, but I think this applies to both of us. It's really helpful, I think. A woman impudent and mannish grown is not more loaned than an effeminate man in a time of action. Have a think about it. Uh, so um, impudent and mannish women uh, are, uh, are pretty bad. But even worse is an effeminate man. A man who doesn't take responsibility. Um, the world is full, and I t- totally am sure of this, of pathetic men. Uh, They're becoming more and more pathetic for all sorts of reasons. Men who who fail miserably when it comes to taking spiritual responsibility. really important. Spiritual responsibility in marriages and in families. So let's get past the jokes and really work out what it means to glorify God if we get married. Uh, Here's the questions then. Uh, I've put a sort of girl's question and a boy's question, but do feel free to sort of... Because it might be helpful to think from a boy's perspective about their question or think from a girl's perspective about their question. We're going to give a fair bit of time for discussion today. Um, So uh, see what you think. Okay. So um, a bit of a whistle-stop tour of male headship in Genesis 1-3. to But when it comes to this relationship between men and women, the first big thing, big thing that God wants to teach us Um, is is this, that that, that men are supposed to take a lead spiritually. Uh, And the reason is that there's a lot at stake, if we get it wrong. You you might think that you can take or leave this whole thing um, and just sort of get on and carry on as you are doing or you want to do if you're a husband or a wife. Um, But as we've said earlier on, messing with this relationship or thinking that it doesn't matter is very dangerous indeed and we'll see a little bit later. First of all, though, sex. Now, like I demonstrated earlier on, uh, I don't think you can get very far in your day without considering sex. It's in your face in the adverts and the news. Uh, it's talk in the school playground and temptation on your computer screen. Um, uh, this liking of sex you know, in, in society and, and also the misuse of use of sex at large has meant that some Christians over the years have said things like, um, sex is bad, it's dirty, you've got to be careful of it, and all this sort of business. Uh, Here's one brilliant example. I just love this. I'll read it to you. I don't think I'll put it on a screen. Um, This is from the Madison Institute's uh, newsletter in 1894. Instruction advice for the young bride. Listen to this, Nicola. on the conduct and procedure of the intimate and personal relationships of the married state, for the greater spiritual sanctity of, and the blessing, the blessed sacrament, and the glory of God. Um, and she talks about how marriage is great. And then she says, on the negative side, there is a woman writing this. On the negative side, there is the wedding night, during which the bride must say uh, must pay the piper, so to speak, by facing for the first time the terrible experience of sex. Um, Ruth Smithers. Beloved wife of the Reverend L.D. Smithers continues. Some young women actually anticipate the wedding night ordeal with curiosity and pleasure. Beware such an attitude. Oh, she's gone. (laughs) Uh, uh, A selfish and sensual husband can easily take advantage of such a bride. One cardinal rule of marriage um, should never be forgotten. Give little, give seldom, and above all, give grudgingly. Otherwise, what could have been a proper marriage could become an orgy of sexual lust. (laughs) Is that what God thinks about sex? Well, let's have a look at Genesis 1. Do you want to turn up Genesis 1 and uh, verse 26 again? Um, Actually, we'll start at verse 28 since Sean read it so nicely for us earlier. In fact, would you like to, because she did, start from verse 28 and carry on for us, thank you, to uh, 31. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit will be given it. This will be yours for seed. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant to feed. And it will say. Thank you. So what's the first thing that men and women are told to do by God in verse 28? Be fruitful and increase in number. number. Another way you could put it is um, have sex. Have sex. And looking at the space they've got to fill in this world, um, have sex a lot, I think. I decided i was going to get this slide off pretty quick, so we'll move on. So you don't want people looking in the door going, this is what I'm telling the youth to do. Um, (laughs) wouldn't wouldn't be good. Uh, Now, in my mind, if God tells men and women, uh, before it all goes pear-shaped in chapter 3, to have sex a lot, then you've got to feel that he approves of it, generally. Um, The other thing that backs up this fact that God commends sex is very clear. It's in verse 31. Uh, I've got it on the screen here. Um, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. There was evening and morning, the sixth day. Uh, God's now complete creation is very good and that includes sex. Brilliant, fantastic. I wonder if God's invention of sex on the sixth day adds to that little bit extra very. Um, It's good, it's very good now um, that we get this finished product. Uh, We shall see that there are some amazing and mysterious things about sex that are very special, uh, which could well mean that God has added the very there, partly because sex has arrived on that last day. Uh, Of course, the rest of the Bible backs up this view that God thinks sex is great or ace. Um, uh, Couples are supposed to do it, it says in the New Testament. I could find you verses on that, quite a lot of verses. And Solomon writes a whole and pretty erotic book in the Old Testament, Song of Songs, about sex. Just two other quick things to say about this. Um, The first one is, um, uh, this is something that we can sometimes get wrong, I think, um, that God made sex just so that humans could have children. Now, although definitely sex is there to produce the next generation, it's not just to have children. Animals are told to have children uh, earlier on in Genesis, but they are not made in God's image. There is something about the intimacy of human sex that is special other than just having children. Chapter 1 talks about sex for baby-making, but when you get to chapter 2, uh, Genesis 2 talks about sex, but it doesn't mention children. It talks about sex as being a really good thing, uh, but it doesn't talk about children there. So it's not just for having children, although that's important. Um, and the other thing is, um, it's not a leisure activity. That wasn't... I, I couldn't think of anything else to picture leisure activity. It's not something you should try um, when it comes to sex. All oh, right, that'd be interesting. Um, LAUGHTER The prevailing attitude, I think, of sex today is that it seems like, you know, if it feels good, do it. You know, it's It's just like another sport or hobby or something like that. Um, It's only healthy to have sex. You all ought to be having sex. Everyone should be doing it and doing it often. Well, as we move through God's introduction and foundation to life in these chapters of Genesis, we find that leisure is an absolutely terrible way of thinking about sex. God is quite clear about where this good sex thing should go on. And I think you all know the answer to this. But just so that we're sure, let's have a look at um, Genesis chapter 2 and verses uh, 20 to 25. Joe, are you up for reading? 20 to 25. First question. Thanks. So the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable help was his path. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up a place of flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, "This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man." For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one like flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Great. So God performs the first surgical operation. You can sort of imagine the scene as the last of the animals sort of plods away with its new name. The man turns away, sort of looks a bit perplexed, a bit of sorrow in his eyes, maybe a tear. And God says, son, just have a lie down, close your eyes, go to sleep. Man falls asleep. Uh, And the creator goes to work. He opens the man's side, he takes out the rib, he closes the wound and he starts building this woman. And there she stands, perfectly gorgeous and uniquely suited to the man's needs and he to hers and he says look just go and stand over there a minute I'll, I'll come to you in a moment uh, and off she goes and then the man touches the man he says wake up um, I've, I've had one last creature for you to name I, I'd, I'd like to know what you think of this one and he sort of leads Eve out and uh, Adam greets her with ecstatic relief and says this is bone of my bone flesh of my flesh she should be called woman because she was taken out of man. Um, This prehistoric event, coordinated by a loving creator God, explains why we see men and women pairing off um, all the time now. Right from the beginning, they were made for each other. Woman is just right for man, and man is just right for woman. And Moses, who wrote Genesis, uh, goes on in verse 24 and says this, For this reason, because man is just right for woman, and woman is just right for man, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. They'll get married. Now, incidentally, for me, this is where I would argue that same-sex attraction is something that you shouldn't give in to. Um, maybe you'd like to ask some questions about that later on, but we can't sort of spend the whole morning talking about all this, so we're sort of going to go streamlined. Um, uh, but Moses' reasons... Uh, that sex within marriage is the more satisfying reunion of what originally was one flesh. So Eve was made out of Adam's rib, right next to his heart, right by his side, you might say. And this is why you get in Ephesians, as you read on in the Bible, um, Ephesians says, Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, because they are their own bodies. That's how it started out. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one hated his own body, but feeds it and cares for it. Sex is a man and woman coming back together as one flesh. But it's not just that sort of physicalness of it. There's a little phrase at the end of chapter 2 there, um, if you see in verse 25, that shows it that it's more than that. The man and the woman were both naked and they felt no shame. This nakedness is a sort of total knowing of each other. It's an intimacy that's unparalleled in any other relationship. It's closeness. And that sort of closeness and love, and let's admit it, it's the closeness and love that we all long for, isn't it? That's the sort of thing that we want. They were naked and they felt no shame. How good is that? So this sort of closeness can't be considered to be a leisure activity. That would be terrible, wouldn't it? Oh, you can just sort of go and do it with whoever you want. It shouldn't be something that we share at all. This sort of closeness also provides this perfect place to work out the practical responsibility of men and the helperness of, of woman in a truly God-glorifying way. That's why it's there. Um, well, I want you to have a little think about um, sex uh, in, in, and the reason why it's there as very good and the reason why it's there as something that should be done in marriage. So I've got you some more questions. Uh, have a think about those before we move on. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, so, uh, two big things about men and women that God wants us to know in Genesis 1-3. to Here they are, this first one. Uh, in the partnership of two spiritually equal human beings, man and woman, the man bears the primary responsibility to lead the partnership in a God-glorifying direction. And the second one is, have good sex a lot in marriage, um, which I think covers <laughs> what we were talking about. The um, question I'm left with is why. You know, why these things in particular? What is it about sex and headship that are so important that these are the two things that God wants to tell us in this blueprint for life? Well, let me tell you what I think. Um, Remember from chapter one, God made men and women in his image. If that's the case, then you would expect that their relationship as husband and wife would tell you something about God and who he is. And amazingly, I think it does. You cannot get closer uh, than being one flesh with someone. You cannot get closer than that demonstration that sex give of being one flesh with someone. And amazingly, God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is that close too. He made us in his image. And as men and women relate properly to each other, as Genesis 2 suggests we should, men being responsible, woman being a proper helper, a suitable helper, it shows us how God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit relate perfectly in submission and authority and responsibility as well. Made in His image. So here's the big take-home message. I said it at the beginning. um, If we get sex and relationships wrong, we start to mess with who God is. So each time men lord it over women, um, or wimp out of being brave spiritually, each time we sleep with someone or lead them on physically outside marriage, each time women stop encouraging men to take the lead, we who are made in God's image spoil what others might see of God in our relationships. We spoil what others might see of God in our relationships. And it's frightening to think how blasé we can be about sex and how we relate to each other. We should stop it and start being far more serious about it. Let's not be blasé about these. These are important things. They are foundational things that God set up in Genesis 1 and 2. And I've got one question for you to think about. We were going to say, come up with... the. some more questions and have a little panel but I don't think we're going to have time for that Um, but just have a think about this before we conclude and sing our last hymn okay they're coming out so we're going to finish do keep on chatting about some of these things and um, come and ask us questions Uh, just to say to finish we said right at the beginning that reading the Bible is about a relationship with someone who loves you. And I hope you believe that. It's something that we've been thinking about at the Forward Conference this week. And one of the things one of the speakers said stuck with me, and I think it's something that would be really pertinent to what we've been learning this morning. Let me put it in the form of a question, like he did. He said this If someone speaks to you and makes a promise to you, and you go away and you don't trust that promise, what does that say about how you feel about the person who made the promise? What does it say? If you don't trust their promise, what does it say about how you feel about the person? You don't trust them. You don't trust them. God promises us that sex is for marriage alone. God promises us that in the partnership of two spiritually equal beings, the man bears primary responsibility to lead. Now, I I think I've shown... That these promises are there very clearly in Genesis one to three. So when we don't trust the words of those promises, the bottom line is that we don't trust God. We've got to be serious about these things, and I pray that we'll get stuff right. But you know what? If you haven't got these things right, or you're struggling with them in one way or another, then God has put two things two things in place uh, to help you. First of all, the church. Um, we should be helping each other you know, talk to each other about these things do keep coming back they're important things that we need to be getting straight and encouraging each other with um, so talk to us as leaders talk to your mates talk to a Christian you trust and the second thing is uh, the church we've got we've also got Jesus now Jesus took all my sin and all your sin to the cross so whatever the sin is whether it's sexual or unhelpful thinking about how you should relate to the opposite sex. Whatever it is that you might regret or be thinking, ah, this morning about. Jesus has dealt with that and he's dealt with it as a cross. So if you trust him, we can get a fresh start and start to think these things through again. I'm going to pray and then we will, I think we will sing our last song. Thanks. Heavenly Father, I thank you that um, you've not only uh, told us how to live, but you've dealt with when we get it wrong too. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for what he did at the cross. Thank you that um, all our lust and all our pride has been dealt with there. I pray, Lord, as we've been challenged about anything particular this morning, that you would help us to bring that to you, um, just sort of personally. um, Help us to tell other people maybe that's what we've done, as it encourages them. um, And help us to keep on helping each other in these things, particularly these things. In your name, amen.